Saturday, December 2nd at 7 p.m. in Pasadena. Yeah, that's our next live audience show of the year and our last live audience show of the year. With scheduled guests Billy Gardell and Gina Yashere. Tickets are available right now at GoFactorPod.com. Be there! Yeah! Are you a real know-it-all? Do you annoy your family by shouting the answers while watching Jeopardy? Do you drive people crazy when you start a sentence with, (laughs) well, actually? Well, guess what? You can go fact yourself. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Go Fact Yourself, the show where we quiz the smartest people we know and find out why they love what they love. I'm Helen Hong. And now, recording remotely from our homes in Los Angeles, here's our moderator, J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you so much, Helen. Nice to see you. Very nice to see you. Helen, we are recording this right before Halloween. I think the episode's going to drop right after Halloween. Would you consider yourself a Halloween person? I would not consider myself a Halloween person. I, I don't get into the costumes, you know. I'm very I, – I, I kind of am always last minute about it. Like, oh, my God, it's Halloween. I should be – Maybe where where did I put that one jack o' lantern shirt that I had in the closet one time? <laughs> um, and I have a theory about Halloween people oh, versus yeah? Christmas Christmas people. Yeah, I think Halloween people are just more organized than Christmas people because you know you never notice like Chris, Halloween people will take down their de- decorations like right after Halloween. Mm-hmm. You'll never see a witch or a skeleton on a lawn like a month and a half later. Christmas people, on the other hand, <laughs> I mean, what's up with, the, you know, the Christmas lights are up until July. There's snowflakes hanging from the rafters until March. Like, what's going on? Halloween people are like, we're intense, we're doing it, and then they're going back in the garage. <laughs> <laughs> I've never noticed that. That's true. Uh, I might become more of a Halloween person. I actually am scheduled after we record today to go to a haunted hayride. Uh, that was, uh, yes, that was an anniversary gift from uh, my fiance Sarah. And um, I am not looking forward to it because I don't, no? I don't, I mean, I don't really like being scared and I don't like hay rides, but um, I, li- <laughs> I like her. So um, it's a very appropriate gift. For yeah. You. <laughs> but, you know, what, what are you going to say when you get a gift? Oh, honey, I love it. <laughs> you know, years ago, I was a tour guide at a big ranch in Malibu, and we did scary tours uh, around Halloween time at night, which was interesting because it was like completely unlit. This entire ranch was unlit, so you could hardly see anything. And we were, and it was a wine tasting, so everyone was drunk. Oh, so whoa. it was just basically like a bunch of drunk people in a big van just driving around <laughs> darkness in it Malibu. Was a, it was a haunted which... van ride. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, All right. Well, Halloween for everybody. Today on Go Fact Yourself, two guests will compete to answer questions about facts they know, facts they may not know, and frankly, facts they should know. Plus, we'll meet actual experts on two very different topics. And finally, we'll declare one of our guests the winner of today's show. Let's get started and meet today's guest, Helen, who is up first. She is a comedian who hosts the podcast Madigan's Pubcast and whose newest special, Hunting Bigfoot, is streaming on Prime Video. It's Kathleen Madigan. Hello, Kathleen. Hello. Kathleen, of course, people know you from your several TV specials, your albums. You're always on tour, it seems. Uh, one of the very best in the business. Um, and I, I read that you said this whole stand-up thing just started out as a reason to drink. It did because we couldn't drink in the bar that I worked at because people misbehaved. So they kicked us out. And then the nearest bar was a comedy club. 
So we just started drinking there and then we watched open mic nights and a lot of the people were so bad <laughs> that I thought, well, I've said something funnier this week. I'm sure of it. I should go try that. As long as I'm here drinking anyway, you get free drinks if you try that. So I was <laughs> like, well, I'll just drink for free. That's I seriously, that's I, I never thought about it till that night. So if it had been like a roller skating bar, you probably could have ended up being uh, an expert roller skater. <laughs> Well, I'm awfully clumsy. I, I wouldn't go that far, but may, maybe something else. Yeah, definitely. Maybe uh, darts or something. Maybe I could be the best dart player in the world. I don't know. I have to tell you, Kathleen, as a female stand-up comedian, you are one of the ones that we all look up to and, you know, one of the greatest and still in the game and just, like, as a younger female comedian, you were always like, just, ah, so I'm a little starstruck, so thank you for joining oh, us. Oh, really. okay. Well, well, thank you. I never even think about that till I go down to the club and everybody's 25 years old. I'm like, okay, I, I got to leave now. <laughs> you're, old enough to be, you're old enough to be my kid. <laughs> we happen to catch you on a day uh, in between tour dates, but my goodness, you really seem to be touring. Is it really almost, is it literally every weekend that you're out playing? Mostly. I mean, maybe not so much in the summertime, mm -hmm. but um, that, that's more like festival and goof off stuff. Mm -hmm. But the hardcore stuff is like September through the end of May, I would say. So yeah, every, every weekend. It's such a hard lifestyle. And, you know, and as a stand up comic who, you know, I, I, I act as well. And so I'm only on the road about once, you know, once uh, one weekend a month or two weekends a month. Um, but but for like, like real road comics like yourself that are on the road every single weekend, like it's just it's hard on the body. Yeah, it's and it's hard not to go insane, like just from the travel part, like it keeps getting worse as society moves on. Like traveling was so much better when I was like 30. I don't know. The planes weren't crowded. The airport wasn't crazy. It was actually enjoyable. So that part keeps kind of going downhill. So you got to keep switching it up in your own mind saying, you know, when this gets too crazy, I'll just, I can quit. I go quit whatever I want, but I like it for now still. So I'll keep going. Well, you yeah. said the travels become more difficult. What's become better and easier for you as, as you've worked on this for so long? Uh, well, selling tickets. Yeah, that's, that I must mean, be selling nice. Selling tickets is a lot easier. Yeah. yeah, like when you just see the on sale and it's sold out, then you're, you're like, finally, because no one will be yelling at me you know, Kathleen, you got either, oh my God, we've only sold X amount in San Antonio. Let's go. Like that kind of pressure I don't need at this age. So it's nice when the tickets just sell themselves. That was the only goal. I mean, the only goal was to tell jokes in front of live people. I don't want to be in a sitcom. I don't want to be in a movie. I don't like, I'm just one of those weird people that I found one good thing. I'm pretty good at that. Let's just Let's not, let's not expend energy in areas where I know I'm terrible. <laughs> well, one of the things that was offered to you, uh, a cool thing you got to do that is a dream of mine, you got to throw out the first pitch at a Cubs game uh, this season. <laughs> uh, what was that experience like for you? It's very nerve-wracking because it's way further than you think. Mm -hmm. And I actually, with my brother, marked it off in my yard. Mm -hmm. And then when you're down there, there's all these groups. They're like, here's the stand up to cancer people. They're going to go out and say, hi, here's the dads for whatever. Oh, it's breast cancer. Mom. Ah, and then they go, Kathleen, go throw the ball. So it happens very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. And then I, you're supposed to hug the mascot. And I forgot. And there's this bear chasing me. And they're like, oh, my, you, you forgot to hug Clark. I'm like, who's Clark? And they're like, the bear. I'm like, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. So I ran back out and, uh, and then I did the seventh inning stretch, the song. Right. And then that organ person is 
four doors down, so you don't really know when they start. You can't hear it. <laughs> so then they're they're just hollering at you, start singing. I'm like, okay, <laughs> take me out to the ballpark. <laughs> it was uh, it was it was a fun day. I yeah. wish you, I was didn't have a show. I had a show at the Chicago Theater that night, and I wished I didn't have the show because it was perfect drinking weather. It was like seventy two. <laughs> it was a great game. It ended up being like six to four. Lots of hits. It was just great. I'm still hung up on the fact that they it was a requirement to hug the mascot like yeah, in this day 20, and age it's 2023 like you shouldn't be required to hug anybody even the mascot well maybe clark's feelings get hurt i don't know i think it's uh they wanted the picture i know that so i i went back and hugged clark i made sure i did that. well we have a surprise joining us now from chicago it's clark the bit no, no it isn't. we're not doing that. we're not doing that <laughs> Well, Kathleen, I'm sure you did a wonderful job, and it's wonderful to host you today. Kathleen Madigan, everybody. All right, Helen, against whom will Kathleen be competing? He is a singer and songwriter whose song, A Drop in the Ocean, has been streamed over one billion times, and whose new album, Inside Voices, is available now. It's Ron Pope. Hello, Ron Pope. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Oh, we're so happy to have you. Uh, my goodness, A Drop in the Ocean, Helen mentioned it was streamed over a billion times and counting. I think what's even more remarkable about that is that started in the very early days of streaming. Um, so tell us what that experience was like for you, uh, because you actually went platinum with that song, mostly from streams. The wild part of it for me, I guess, is we started, um, it feels like the the wild west of the, the digital revolution, I guess, but we mm-hmm. were selling digital albums and singles on iTunes. That was really kind of you know for me 2007 2008 and so by the time streaming started um, it was sort of terrifying for me because that's where I was I was making my whole living selling you know singles and albums it turned out streaming has been very very good to me Um, it has been uh, a very you know magical experience it's brought us all over the world like we used information that we got from them to target my first European tour and figure out where to go and all all of that stuff so I, you know, first released some of these songs, you know, 15 years ago. I made my first album 20 years ago, and I am still traveling all over the world. Um, I feel like uh, I have been on tour forever, and I'm going to be on tour, it seems like, till I die. Uh, so, it's been, uh, so unlike every, Kathleen, you can't stop whenever you want. You, no, have, to, it's you a, have to keep going. Yeah, this, this monkey is going to stay on my back, it seems like. Uh, so, And I actually, another, another I, I thought about this as Kathleen was talking, my journey into becoming a professional musician was basically the inverse of how Kathleen became a stand-up comic. I went into a oh. comedy club, and my mother used to do stand-up, and my mother is hilarious. Whoa. And I used to think, maybe I want to do stand-up. So I went into a comedy club to watch my mother one night, and she burned the place down. And she was <gasps> so Whoa. so vulgar. So vulgar. And so I, I had gotten old enough that I could finally walk into a comedy club. And then my mom's up there just doing dick jokes. And I'm like, oh, man, Ooh, this is this is maybe not for me. I don't yeah. think I'm going to survive in this world if you've got to be that funny to, to, to live here. And also, I don't want to hang out with my mom this much. This feels. Yeah. And fortunately, the bar next door was a music venue and not, again, a roller skating bar. That's really interesting. I didn't know that. Your songs have been heard by millions on TV shows like Vampire Diaries, 90210. So you think you can dance and the voice um what was the first song of yours to get tv play and and how did that happen being an independent artist i know there was a choreographer on so you think you can dance at some point that really liked my music so they just kept pitching the songs to people so it might have been one of those i don't know it's Mm -hmm. such a long time ago now it all being a musician like my whole life sort of feels like one long night (laughs) i went out at some point in like 1997 and i like 
drank a bunch of Jack Daniels in a parking lot, and I've been in that parking lot ever since. Basically, it's, uh... <laughs> but the cars just getting keep getting nicer and nicer around you. Yeah, the the thing that carries me to that parking lot gets bigger and bigger the older I get. Basically, that's the only difference. Yeah, well, you've remained very active. Uh, this new album just came out a few months ago called Inside Voices. And um, if you don't mind talking about it, I understand that that came out of some pretty scary times for you and your family. Yeah, my wife uh, nearly lost her life. And I ended up uh, kind of, you know, I've been writing songs about our relationship for a very long time. And then uh, she nearly died. And it turned out there was a whole lot more to say. And so Inside Voices was written um, in the in the aftermath of that as we were coming out of it. And so some of the songs are for my wife and some of them are for my daughter. And they're this uh, reflection on kind of where I am at now uh, in my life, which is a, you know, it's an interesting thing as a you know creative person. You start when you're very young. And so you're you're telling the stories of the the very young, and then mm. you know then you like then you get married and you have kids and so on and so on, and then I, I assume like before before like uh, you know not so long from now I'm going to be like talking about how they're not like advancing social security benefits enough to keep up with the cost <laughs> of living or whatever. Um, you're going to have a banger about AARP. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I appreciate you talking about that, and and we should say that uh, she got through that, and she is no longer uh, near death. I should hope. Oh, definitely not. Not, no, she's, she's doing great. She's actually she's hard at work somewhere right now. Absolutely. She's Excellent. Uh, speaking of your wife, last thing I want to ask you about, you and your wife had a cooking show that was on uh, Instagram. Despite that you're saying, and I quote, by all accounts, you should not listen to us give advice on making food. My daughter, when she was a little baby, we used to take videos to send to, you know, relatives. And it would be like us teaching her how to make meatballs or teaching her how to make, you know, something my grandmother taught me or something my wife's mm-hmm. mother taught or whatever. We were doing it. It was it was fun. And so we're like, oh, let's put it on the internet. I don't know. We'll, we'll share it with our friends. And, and then it became more of a thing. And we did it for quite a while. But I can't have any more side hustles. Like, I think, <laughs> you know, like, like Kathleen said, it's like when you get into entertainment because you know how to do one thing, inevitably yeah. – People are like, you want to do this other thing? You're like, I get that this is entertainment, but it's pretty different than the sort of entertainment that I'm doing. So the cooking show started to feel like stress, so I'm not doing it Mm -hmm. anymore. Uh, Excellent. You found that one thing to do. You do that. You do it well. And we thank you for joining us on our show. It's Ron Pope. Glad to be here. Thank you. All right, Kathleen and Ron, we asked each of you to provide us with a few topics outside your field of work that you know and love. Kathleen, for you, you said that was the Loch Ness Monster, the convenience store chain Bucky's, and Ozark the TV show versus the real Ozarks. Whereas, Ron, (laughs) you said that you know and love the band Counting Crows, the TV show Yellowstone up to season four, and New York's best slice of pizza. Very, very. That one's controversial. Yes, Mm. controversial. We're going to get into that later on because (laughs) we're going to ask each of you some in-depth trivia questions about one of those topics. But first, we're going to get your thoughts on something you might know nothing about. It's time to split some hairs with our What's the Difference round. We'll have one question for each of you, each worth up to two points. If either of you gives an incorrect or incomplete answer, the other person has a chance to steal. Your topic today, along came a spider and sat down beside her. First up is Kathleen. Kathleen, while they both might be creepy crawlies, what's the difference between a spider and an arachnid? A spider and an arachnid. Oh man, that's kind of sciencey. I it can't is a little start bit out. Science-y, I yes. can't. Yeah, um, I'm gonna say the amount of legs. Okay, uh, would you like to be more specific? An arachnid. I'm just making this up. Mm-hmm. Has eight or more. Whereas a spider has four. Has four. Okay. 
The four-legged spider. All right, we've got uh, Kathleen's answer. I don't know yet if she's entirely correct. Ron, anything you'd like to add or change? So a spider definitely has eight legs because I live with a five-year-old. So that I definitely know about. Uh, So a spider has eight legs. Not after Kathleen's done with it. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Could it be... Uh, something to do with antennas? Uh, do do arachnids have antennas and spiders do not? Uh, we'll find out. It's time for this segment to get off its tuffet. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges' table for the facts. Here are the facts. All spiders are arachnids, but not all arachnids are spiders. Spiders are a type of arachnid that have fangs and can produce silk, which is often spun into webs or other traps for prey. But arachnids can also include eight-legged creatures that don't produce silk or have fangs. That's right. Now, some of those fangless and silkless arachnids include scorpions, mites, ticks, and vinegaroons, which mix well with olive oil runes and make a great salad dressing. Helen, how did our guest do? I can't say either one of you got any points on that one. I'm not sorry. truthfully, no, you yeah. could not say that. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Up next, in along came a spider and sat down beside her is Ron. Ron, your question comes from a listener. Who is it, Helen? I will let them tell you themselves because we have a listener recording. Listeners, if you would like to submit a suggestion for our What's the Difference round, go to gofactorpod.com and click on Get Involved. Okay, play it. Hi, Go Fact Yourself. This is Rich Permenter from Arnold, Missouri. My question for what's the difference is, while you wouldn't want to find a spider in a glass of either of them, what's the difference between apple cider and apple juice? Thanks. Have a great show. Thank you so much, Rich. Uh, Kathleen, you had a reaction when uh, he said that he was from Arnold, Missouri. You, I know, are from Missouri as well. Well, I know right where that's at. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's not going to help me with my answer. Oh, well, let's find out. Ron, the question, though, does go to you first. What is the difference between apple cider and apple juice? Does apple cider have, like, mulling spices in it? So all of those, you know, cinnamon and all that good stuff. Is that the difference between apple cider and apple juice? That's my guess. That is your guess. All right, we've got Ron's guess. We don't know yet if he's entirely correct. Kathleen, using your Missouri knowledge, is there anything you'd like to change or add? I thought all cider had alcohol in it. Am I, is that, is that just because I drink cider? That might be. Like in a, in a bar? Yeah. But I, maybe they don't. I don't know. Okay, but, you're, but your guess for this is that you think cider has alcohol and juice does not? Yes. Okay. Well, uh, this segment is running out of juice. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges table for the facts. Here are the facts. Both are drinks that are made by squeezing apples in a press. The difference is apple cider is the raw liquid that comes from the pressing process, so it contains pulp and is murky. Proper apple cider is also not pasteurized. Apple juice is filtered, so it has a lighter color and is clearer than cider. It is pasteurized. Uh, That's right. Now, because it is not pasteurized, apple cider has a shorter shelf life and is considered a seasonal drink. Kathleen, you were sort of on the right track with this because if apple cider is left alone, it will ferment into apple cider vinegar or an alcoholic hard apple cider in a comparatively short amount of time. But if you really need a hard apple cider, it's never short enough. Helen, how did our guest do? Kathleen, I think I'm going to give you half a point for the alcohol comment. Yeah. um, Thank you. 
Yeah, half a point for Kathleen. Half a point for Kathleen. And what is our score at the end of that round, Helen? At the end of that round, Kathleen Madigan has half a point and Ron Pope has zero points. But those scores are bound to change as we move on to questions about topics our guests have chosen for themselves. That's all up ahead when we come back on Go Fact Yourself. Helen, the holidays are coming soon. Yay! Helen, you know what I love doing at the holidays besides getting gifts? Eating. Eating. Yes, you too as well. (laughs) It's the best part about it. It really is. Now, uh, I don't know about you, but I love to eat, but I do not love to cook unless Mm -hmm. I have a little help. And hey, you know who can help us? Butcher Box. Yeah. Prep for your holiday meals. Share holiday meals with the people you love with the help of Butcher Box. They've got all you need for a tasty, stress-free holiday season with high-quality protein delivered right to your door. Oh, I love ButcherBox so much, Helen. I know you do, and so do I, because we can both get exactly what we want. Yeah, you can easily find high-quality meat and seafood you can trust, 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork that's raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood. Each box comes with recipe inspiration, guides, tips, and hacks. Yeah, and everything is delivered right to your doorstep with free shipping always. I, and I know I've mentioned this before, I love the chicken thighs. They come Mm -hmm. individually wrapped, and I love to make chicken soup for myself. Sometimes I make it for Snefew. Sometimes he likes it too. (laughs) (laughs) It's a wonderful thing to have as we get into these chilly and cold months. And you know what? It's also gift-giving season. I can hardly think of a better gift to give than Butcher Box. That is a great idea for a gift, Jake Heath. Instead of, you know, racking your brain being like, oh my God, what do I have to get grandma again this year? Butcher Box, if she loves to cook and she loves meat, Get into it. And if she doesn't love to cook, ButcherBox will make it that she does because the recipes are there, the tips are there, the convenience, the cost, the quality, the taste. Oh, my gosh. Helen, how can people get ButcherBox and celebrate the holiday season? Well, the holiday season is made better with ButcherBox. And for a limited time, they're offering our listeners turkey free in your first box plus $20 off your first order. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash gofact and use code gofact to get this deal. It's the holidays. Another fantastic reason for us to say thank, thank you, you, Butcher, Butcher Box. Box. Oh, we almost harmonized like for a second. It'll happen someday. <laughs> I'm Jordan Cruciola, host of Feeling Seen, where we start by asking our guests just one question. What movie character made you feel seen? I knew exactly what it was. Clementine from Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Joy Wang slash Jobu Tupaki. That one question launches amazing conversations about their lives, the movies they love, and about the past, present, and future of entertainment. Roy in uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I worry about what this might say about me, but I've brought Tracy Flick in the film Election. So if you like movies, diverse perspectives, and great conversations, check us out. Oof, this is real. New episodes of Feeling Seen drop every week on MaximumFun.org. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself with our guests Kathleen Madigan and Ron Pope. 
Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thanks so much, Helen. All right, Kathleen, of your many interests, you told us that you know and love The Loch Ness Monster, The Convenient Store Chain, Bucky's, and Ozark the TV Show versus The Real Ozarks. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. First, tell us why you know and love The Loch Ness Monster. Well, I'm just kind of obsessed with the fact that I believe it's there, and I believe we can find it, especially with uh, sonar. Mm-hmm. I think people who they say it, why can't it just be a giant eel? I don't know. I get in these bar fights a lot about it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand why everybody's so anti mm-hmm. the fact that it could exist. Um, Bucky's is my favorite gas station. As I say, it's not just a gas station, it's a lifestyle. Until you've been in a Bucky's, you can't even comment. It's the greatest invention on earth. Mainly because in the bathrooms for the women's stalls, they have green lights and red lights on top. What? I've already spent the first 58 years of my life looking on the floor for people's feet. <laughs> Finally, someone figured it out. That is so fancy. I can't even. I believe they've achieved some notoriety for having the cleanest bathrooms in America. They are. They are. There's like 100 people working in there at all times. It's astonishing. <laughs> and then the last topic is because I grew up in the Ozarks and we owned a family resort. When I saw the show Ozarks, I felt like that guy stole my life <laughs> so much to the point that I went and Googled him, but he just happened to grow up the same way. Like he lived in St. Louis and went there in the summers and it, we had everything in the show. I'm, But that's why I picked that topic. Including working with a drug cartel? Well, that's the thing. Like, I don't think the current Ozarks, I don't think we're good enough for heroin. I'd say like <laughs> meth and pot. Not, we're, we're, we're not heroin. We don't know any cartels. No. I but mean, one day, fingers crossed. Yeah. Uh, heroin's too upmarket for... <laughs> You're going to get there one day. I believe in you. Yeah. yeah. We, we believe in you, Ozarks. <laughs> yeah, we can, we can do it. We can do it. All right. Well, to summarize, Kathleen, you said that you know and love the Loch Ness Monster, the convenience store chain Bucky's, and Ozarks. The TV show versus the real Ozarks. Today, we want to quiz you about the Loch Ness Monster. You actually mentioned the Loch Ness Monster in uh, multiple specials and your album and your podcast. This is a, a real love. How did that start for you? I guess, I don't know. My dad always watched, you know, weird specials like that on TV. I mean, I actually went there like three years ago. Me and the comedian Lewis Black took one of those barge deals through the Highlands, mm-hmm. and I got up at five in the morning. Because he was like, are you really getting up at dawn? I'm like, how else are you going to find it, Lewis? It's not going to come. It's not coming to the bedroom. You need to get up. Come on, man. We can start drinking at five. It doesn't matter. We're on vacation. There's a few mysteries left on earth. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of them. And did you see it? No, but I will tell you what. Yeah. That lake is so tricky because it's it's like so, so, so deep that Mm -hmm. it's dark. I could see how you could see it in an instant and then be like, I didn't get my phone out in time. Mm. Well, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in your topic with an expert level question worth up to three points. But before that, to let you show your love, Kathleen, here are five trivia questions about your topic, each worth one point. If you want it, you're allowed a hint for any two of these five questions. Now, Ron, do listen closely because if Kathleen answers incorrectly, you can steal. By the way, Ron, how much do you know about the Loch Ness Monster? Absolutely nothing. All right. Well, let's see if uh, Kathleen gives you a chance to prove it. Here's question number one. Kathleen, the Loch Ness Monster is the most famous lake monster in the world. And while some of the earliest reports in Scottish newspapers nicknamed the Loch Ness Monster Bobby, it's better known today by what nickname that's also a nickname for Vanessa? Nessie. Helen? That is correct. That is correct for the point. Fun fact, while Nessie is the most famous lake monster, there are others, including Lake Tahoe's Tessie, Lake Erie's Bessie, and Flathead Lake's Flessie. 
go get yourself some Flessy. All right, here's question number two. In 2016, a sonar survey, something you had mentioned, of the lock showed a very clear image of what appeared to be a long-necked creature. It turned out, though, to be a giant movie prop that sank in Loch Ness during the filming of a 1970 movie about what famous fictional British detective? Uh, give me a hint. Okay, Helen, how about that first hint? Elementary, my dear Madigan. Oh, Watson. Helen, is it Watson? It is not no. Watson. Not exactly. No, Ron with a chance to steal. This is one I can do. Sherlock Holmes. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Sherlock Holmes. No Ron sandbagged you. He pretended he didn't know anything about it, and he got that one. <laughs> I knew the first uh, one, too. I'm very excited now. I feel very, I'm like, I'm in. Fun fact, that movie was the private life of Sherlock Holmes. The prop was built with two humps, but director Billy Wilder did not like the humps and had them removed, which also removed the buoyancy of the model, causing it to sink to the bottom of the lock. All right, let's see if we can bounce back with this one, Kathleen. Here's question number three. The Loch Ness Monster is not known to have killed anyone, but in 1952, some people blamed a wake left behind by Nessie for the death of John Cobb, who was trying to break what world record at the lock? Oh, well, I'm going to guess. Okay. I'm going to guess that he was swimming end to end. Helen? That is not correct. No, I'm so sorry. Ron with a chance to steal. Was he holding his breath? Helen? That is also not correct. Uh, no, I'm terribly sorry. He uh, was trying to beat the water speed record in a speedboat. Hmm. He was in a speedboat. Uh, he hit some wake, and then unfortunately he died. Fun fact, although not so fun for Mr. Cobb, he reached over 200 miles per hour when he had a small wake, which caused the boat to crash. That wake was likely caused by one of his own support boats rather than a monster. A memorial to John Cobb now stands on the shore of Loch Ness. All right, here's question number four. Kathleen, you do have a hint available. Let's see how you do. Question four. One of the most famous images of the monster is in black and white and shows a single hump and a long neck with a small head. It dates from 1934. More recent research has revealed that this photo was an elaborate hoax that went viral, as viral as something could go in 1934, spurring on interest in the monster. The photo is named after the profession of the man who claimed to have taken it. What is that profession? Uh, I'll need a hint. Helen, how about that second hint? If you survived an attack by the Loch Ness Monster, you would want someone with this job to put you back together. A surgeon. Helen? That is correct. That is correct for the wow! point. Very nice. Very good guess. Fun fact, it is known as the surgeon's photo. And its hoax monster wow. was built onto a toy submarine and was actually only a couple of feet long. All right, Kathleen, here's question number five. You have no hints available, but let's see how you do. The modern era of the Loch Ness Monster kicked off in 1933 when a hotel manager claimed she saw a creature in the lock, which the local press then dubbed a monster. The hotel that she managed is now the Loch Ness Center and is located in what Lockside Village? I know it because I've been there. I may not be pronouncing it That's right. That's all right. Like drum chat it, drum, uh, drum, drum joke. Chit, like D-R-U-M-D-R-O-C-H-I-T. Helen? That is correct. Very nice. We'll that give it to you. Yes. Uh, yes, it Thank is. You. And I believe it is pronounced Drumna Drochit. Drumna Drochit. Drum Drochit. Uh, yeah. yeah, that was sound right. D-R-U-M-N-A-D-R-O-C-H-I-T. However, this is not a spelling quiz, so uh, very nice. Fun fact, Scooby-Doo and the gang visited Drumna Drochit in the movie Scooby-Doo and the Loch Ness Monster. It turns out the monster was just a puppet operated by people who would have gotten away with it if it weren't for those meddling kids. Uh. All right, Kathleen, you did pretty well in that, but now here is your expert-level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. Ooh. 
We'll be bringing on an expert to discuss your response. Kathleen, according to naturalist Adrian Schein, who has been studying life in Loch Ness for over 50 years, if people see a living thing in Loch Ness that they think is the monster, it's likely one of three types of fish. One provides us a traditionally Russian delicacy, one is called unagi when it's served as sushi, and one is the object of the American activity known as noodling. For up to three points, name these three potentially monstrous fish. An eel. Okay. Catfish. Okay. And I don't even know where you get caviar except a Kroger in a can. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't um, I wouldn't trust I, Kroger caviar, to be honest. I, I had it one, one New Year's Eve. It was really good. And then I was like, well, now I'm only going to like this and I won't like the sure. good stuff because they started out <laughs> with the hack stuff. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I can only answer those two. That's catfish a, and an eel. You want to just uh, na- of- n- name it any other kind of fish? Uh, a tuna. A tuna. All I right. Just, I, I just named it. Uh, Helen is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Joining us tonight from Scotland is a naturalist yeah. who has been studying life in Loch Ness for over 50 years. It's Adrian Shine. Hello, Mr. Shine. Wow. Hello, all of you, and Kathleen in particular. Oh, thank you. That's wonderful. Wow, you're fabulous looking. Yes, my goodness. Wow, I love your beard. Yes, you, uh, for our listeners, uh, Mr. Shine, uh, tell us a little bit about the beard before we talk about Loch Ness, because I can't think of anything else right now. Well, I'm very lazy, and I've had my last shave in a stream in Afghanistan in 1970. Wow. wow. I haven't touched a razor since. It's well. an incredible beard, and Santa Claus would be jealous. Seriously. <laughs> I try and avoid wearing red at Christmas. <laughs> I think that's a wise move. Well, in addition to being a naturalist who has studied Loch Ness for so long, you are a fellow of the Royal Geographical Society, a member of the Freshwater Biological Association and Scientific Exploration Society, and you are founder of the Loch Ness Project, which is the premier center for the investigation of of uh, all things Loch Ness. Well, it's funny because we asked a bunch of questions about the history of Loch Ness, and uh, you were involved in a lot of the things that we talked about. Uh, You actually were the one who conducted that 2016 sonar survey that found the movie prop. Uh, You discovered the wreck of John Cobb's speedboat, and uh, you've interviewed that hotel manager who started the whole craze. How did you start becoming interested and involved in Loch Ness? Well, I was a schoolboy in the 1960s, which was a time of challenge to authorities of all kinds, both political Mm. and what was deemed to be a scientific establishment. So it was a challenge to convention. It was a time when Mm. human testimony was seen to be denigrated by those in authority. That was when the so-called science of cryptozoology was born. I call it a movement. It rather misunderstood the nature of the scientific method Mm. uh, because science in general regards witness testimony, unsupported witness testimony, as anecdotal. There is some effort being made uh, with my, by myself and uh, Dr. Paxton to beat anecdote into data by clustering similar sorts of experience together. And, and see how they match up. To see how they match up, to mm-hmm. see if they group together. I'm so disappointed to learn that that really famous 
photograph was a tiny it was only two feet long like it just looks like it was this massive thing and i'm like what two feet long it's well, so lame one of the reasons for that is because the picture as normally presented is actually heavily cropped and so you don't really get a sense ah. of scale for the ripples but if you have experience of water you can see particularly in the uncropped print that those waves are actually just oily little ripples. And that tells mm. you that the object is very small. We've known that since the 1970s. What we didn't know was what the small object was. Was it a mistake or was it a fake? It turned out, yes, it mm. was a fake. Okay, so I went to your center um, it, it, by the lake. It's, it's fabulous because there's just a million things in there you can read about. Learn. It's yeah, very educational. But the, the, the older woman, I'm sure she's probably passed away by now, who initially said she saw it and then told everyone in town, my willingness to believe her is because I would have thought that the town people would say she's absolutely crazy. Like to, to admit that to me would seem to be putting yourself out there for a lot of mockery. So her story, do you believe the, the older woman that went into town and told everyone? Do you believe that story? I believe that Oldie Mackay is recounting what she saw. Okay. But she did not tell the world at all. She was in a car with her hmm. husband. She was driving back to Drumnodrocket from Inverness. She saw what she saw, which was a sort of a hump-shaped impression of a creature, whatever it was, but she kept it very much to herself. Mm. What happened was that a water bailiff came to the Drumnodrocket Hotel. His name was Alex Campbell, and he was going to discuss the coming salmon season. And Mrs. Mackay's husband dropped her in it. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Okay. He outed her. He outed her. Wow. And, and of course, Alex Campbell, the water bailiff, was also a newspaper correspondent. Oh. And I think oh, you can okay. imagine the rest. Thank you for teaching me how to properly pronounce the name of the village, and my apologies to all of the people there. Drumnadrocket means the ridge of the bridge. The ridge of the bridge. Oh. I love that. We've got a bridge. So, uh, as a naturalist, I imagine that you would be excited to discover that the Loch Ness monster actually exists. You know, you 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 do these methods that end up disproving uh, it from time to time. But you would want you, you. I imagine you would love nothing more than to be the person who discovers the actual existence of this creature. Well, we we would love to have a Loch Ness Monster. And actually, we will. As, as long as we want one, there will mm. be a Loch Ness Monster. It is just a matter of what we perceive it to be. Oh, tell me more about that. Even beyond the matter of animals, there are, is the matter of what we are seeing. So we have not mm. actually been hunting an animal Loch Ness Monster for a very long time. For example, the fact that the water in Loch Ness can sometimes move against the wind. Mm. Bearing objects like debris, bits of tree trunk, that sort of thing, against the wind, looking as if they are swimming. Oh, that explains that. So that's a special thing which we, you sim we it was simply discovered by thermometers. Do you have like a, a, a 
population of haters per se who are like, oh man, don't bum us out with your science. Like, like leave us, leave us the dream, man. Leave us, leave us the hope that it that it's real and it's down there and it's like the the real with the hump yeah. and the whole thing. That something large and scary can kill us. Please let us have that hope. <laughs> that is the difference between resorting to possibility over probability. Right. That's so interesting mm. that, that you, you see that myths and science can coexist. That's something that you don't hear a lot about. Well, some people, it's a question of the cart and the horse and the chicken and the egg. Right. You know, which comes first? Does what is seen in nature inform right. myth or, or certainly does it work the other way around that our yeah. imagination alone generates things and then nature confirms them. Confirmation bias meant that people saw multi-humped phenomena in Loch Ness. Mm. Now, the investigators of the 60s discovered that these were boat wakes. And then in our minds, you, you can interpret that as those waves of a, of a serpent or of a monster. Well, you do. It confirms exactly yeah. what a monster's, uh, a vertically undulating monster should look like. I could talk to you about this all day, but let's get to the reason we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the question that we asked of Kathleen. We want to know, according to a naturalist, some guy named Adrian Shine, who's been studying life in Loch Ness for over 50 years, if people think that they see a living thing that is the monster, it's likely one of three types of fish. We want to know what are those three types. Helen, what was the first answer that Kathleen gave? Kathleen said eel. And Adrian? Well, uh, that is one of the modern theories. Now, the theory runs that some eels like it so much in Loch Ness that they get bigger and bigger and bigger and do not go back to the sea. Uh, all right. So, that, so Kathleen was correct with eels. Uh, Helen, what was the next answer that Kathleen gave? Kathleen said catfish. And Adrian? That would be correct again. Another modern theory, again, not one of mine. But the idea is that the European catfish, the whales, is a very big and ugly fish. In fact, it's a mouth with a tail. <laughs> and it'll eat anything it can get into that mouth. And catfish, by the way, is the, uh, is the activity of noodling that we mentioned. That's a common thing in some parts of the South here. Yeah, that's, yes. one of your, that's one of your, your United States pursuits. Yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> all right. And then finally, Helen, what was the third answer that Kathleen gave? Uh, Kathleen said tuna. And uh, Adrian? I'm afraid not. No, no. <laughs> no. What was that third fish, uh, it's, Adrian? A, it's a very fine fish, but it would, it would not go into fresh water. But sturgeon do. Ah, um, and, and sturgeon is where uh, much of caviar comes from, yeah. uh, as well as, of course, the can at Kroger. Yeah. Uh, Adrian, it's been so wonderful for you to join us. Kathleen, anything else you'd like to ask or say to our expert while we have him here? Oh, yeah. Did, didn't uh, didn't they do a giant thing like in uh, this summer, maybe August of this summer, where they had a line of boats with sonar to go do another check? No, that was mine in 1987. It was called Operation Deep Scan. I saw yours, but I thought they did an updated version. No, no, they had a few people standing around the lot. Oh, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> it was a sort of a reenactment, I think. Oh, it was a reenactment. Oh, oh okay. okay. They weren't actually well, doing well, work. Well, I, I, wa I watched yours on YouTube, and it was great. <laughs> Thank you. And I'm, I'm, yeah. very, I'm very glad you're still interested. <laughs> I am. I am. And don't interested. worry. You can still seek possibilities. 
even if the probabilities are getting a bit thin. What a wonderful message. Adrian, if people want to find out more about you and your work, where can they do that? Uh, well, they can look at our website, lochnessproject.com. Um, we'll have a few books around before too long. I, I would think so. Well, thank you so much for the work that you do for helping to advance the cause of science. And thank you so much for joining us today. Adrian Shine, everybody. Thank you. Yay. All right, Helen, what is our score at the end of that round? At the end of that round, Kathleen Madigan has five and a half points and Ron Pope has one point with a round of questions for Ron coming up. That's right. We're going to talk with Ron about a topic he knows about. Plus, later, Kathleen and Ron will go head to head in our Fast Facts round, all to find a winner on Go Fact Yourself. Oh, my gosh. Hi, it's me, Dave Holmes, host of the pop culture game show Troubled Waters. On Troubled Waters, we play a whole host of games like one where I describe a show using a limerick. And our guests have to figure out what it is. Let's do one right now. What show am I talking about? This podcast has game after game and brilliant guests who come play you. The host is named Dave. It could be your fave. So try it. Life won't be the same. Uh, a big business starring Bette Midler and Lily Tomlin. Close, but no. Oh, is it Troubled Waters, the pop culture quiz show with all your favorite comedians? Yes. Troubled Waters is the answer. To this question and all of my life's problems. Now, legally, we actually can't guarantee that. But you can find it on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself with our guests Kathleen Madigan and Ron Pope. Once again, here's Jake Keith Van Stratton. Thank you so much, Helen. All right, Ron, of your many interests, you told us that you know and love the band The Counting Crows, the TV show Yellowstone up to season four, and New York's best slice of pizza. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. First, tell us about the band Counting Crows and what they mean to you. Well, when I was growing up, Counting Crows were like my Grateful Dead. I went on the mm. road, which is ridiculous because the Grateful Dead were still on tour then, so I really could have <laughs> gone to see the Grateful Dead. Um, but I became uh, a devotee, and I followed them around the country and saw them play lots of times and was an absolutely obsessive student of their music. Very cool. All right, next tell us what the TV show Yellowstone up to season four means to you. Well, my wife and I were always looking for something like, you know, to watch one episode of in between when we put our five-year-old to sleep and when we uh, become unconscious ourselves. Um, and Yellowstone is so engaging that it has been keep, – it keeps us awake. Some nights we even watch – Two, like what are we, 24? Crazy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, and I think also, you know, as music people, the first four seasons of Yellowstone did incredible work with music and it helped to really launch a bunch of careers. Uh, Zach Bryan, who is, you know, a world beater now about it, but it's also just like a beautiful visually, it's incredibly arresting because it's a lovely snapshot of the American West. All right. And then finally, tell us about New York's best slice of pizza. When I was 22, 21, 20 years old, 20, up to maybe 25. Sounds like your early 20s, maybe. Yeah, somewhere. You know, like I said, my life has felt like one very long night. The odds of me standing in front of Joe's Pizzeria, Joe's on Carmine Street, as you just begin, you you know, as where the, the, the center of the village meets the West Village, virtually 100%. But as I got older <laughs> and I started eating it during the day, I came to realize that it truly is, by the slice, there's nobody that even touches Joe's. The recipe works. They're, they're only doing what they do. They haven't added stuff to the menu. You walk in there, you get a cheese slice. It murders. 
All right. Well, to summarize, you said that you know and love the band Counting Crows, the TV show Yellowstone, and New York's Best Slice of Pizza. Today, we want to quiz you about Counting Crows. All right. Do you have favorite songs uh, in the catalog? I think that the first four albums are mm-hmm. all perfect, basically. It's one of those bands where the storytelling is masterful. The playing is incredible. I love the production. It also has this beautiful, nostalgic thing for me because when I put it on, you know, it takes me to a place where I'm 16 through, you know, 23 or whatever. It's at that part mm-hmm. of my life. And I've stolen now, from them relentlessly. My oh, whole I was going to ask about that. T- tell me about how you've stolen. Well, when I was a kid, you know, you go to a show. You see a guy with his foot on a monitor taking an accordion solo in a rock band. I was like, all right, we're going to write that down. Guy with a foot on a monitor playing accordion solo. And so now, you know, I would say probably in Roots music, I'm one of the few people where when you come to a show, there's often someone playing accordion. And so it's – and that's where and where I, do they have their foot? Where do they have their foot Right. On? When it comes time to take an accordion solo, that foot's going on a monitor. All <laughs> right. Thank you, Counting Crows. <laughs> I can't believe they didn't patent that or trademark it. <laughs> well, just ahead, Ron, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in your topic with a question worth up to three points. But before that, to let you show your love, here are five trivia questions about your topic, each worth one point. If you want it, you're allowed to hint for any two of these five questions. Now, Kathleen, do listen closely because if Ron answers incorrectly, you could steal. Kathleen, by the way, how much do you know about Counting Crows? Oh, I would say just as much as your average American idiot. Okay. Like, enough. Enough. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I like that the Yellow Album was my favorite, and then... Um, okay, but you know enough to know that you liked the Yellow Album. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd go see them. Okay. Yeah, I like them. Terrific. Yeah. All right, well, here's question number one for Ron Pope. Counting Crows received three Grammy nominations, and they also received an Oscar nomination for their song, Accidentally in Love, which appeared in the first sequel to what animated film starring the voices of Mike Myers, Eddie Murphy, and Cameron Diaz? Shrek. Helen? That is correct. That is correct for the point. Uh, Fun fact, Accidentally in Love from Shrek 2 spent 20 weeks on the Billboard 100 chart, as did the band's biggest Billboard hit, Hanging Around. You did not need the hint in that, but Helen, what would that first hint have been? What are you doing in my swamp? (laughs) Helen Hong. Helen Hong. Wonderful impression. Bravo. I'm sorry our expert from the first segment wasn't around to hear that, because I'm sure... He would have loved it. All right, here's question number two. Ron, the video for A Long December featured a sitcom superstar who had been featured in another famous music video, Bruce Springsteen's Dancing in the Dark, and later dated lead singer Adam Duritz. Who is it? Courtney Cox. Another fun fact, he also dated Jennifer Aniston. Helen? (gasps) Whoa, he made the round of friends because that is correct. That is correct. Uh, Fun fact. A couple years before Long December, Duritz dated Jennifer Aniston. (laughs) So thank you, Ron. But somehow Aniston and Cox remained friends. Hey! Nice work. Hold for for groan. All right, you're two for two. Here's question number three. Counting Crows didn't just record their own songs. In fact, their 2012 album, Underwater Sunshine, or What We Did on Our Summer Vacation, was all cover songs. But which of the following songs did not appear on the album? Was it Ooh La La by Faces and later Rod Stewart, The Ghost in You by The Psychedelic Furs, Amy by Pure Prairie League, Start Again by Teenage Fan Club, or You Ain't Going Nowhere by Bob Dylan? 
So this is uh, be this is after uh, the period uh, that I am listening to this band. So uh, I am blindly guessing. Also, they considered one of my songs for recording. Oh, how on wonderful! That album. Yes, oh. there could have been a Ron Pope cover. Yes, and then I would have I wouldn't be able to be on this podcast because I would have died. Uh, oh wow! <laughs> well. And I guess, thank goodness, they didn't. Uh, I know that they do You Ain't Going Nowhere, so it can't be. It, 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 that one is surely one of them that's on there. And But otherwise, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure. So if, if there's a clue between the other ones, there's four others there. I don't know. Yeah. All right, Helen, how about that first hint? Ooh La La by Faces is one of the songs on the album. Okay. And so now the three that are left are The Ghost in You, Pure Prairie mm-hmm. League, Amy, and what else? Start Again by Teenage Fan Club. Uh, okay, can I do? Can I use my second clue here? Oh, interesting. That's uh, never been done before. I, I, wow. I guess you, Helen. I don't know. Can he? You might want to save it for later. I don't know. Nah. Yeah, but I know no, almost okay. everything about the actual albums of this band. This is a record of covers. This feels okay. like uh, Helen. Hmm. Helen, let let's try. Yeah, it. Let's give it. Yeah. Let's give. Our, let's you, give. Yeah. I believe that for the first time ever, a rare second hint on a question. Yeah, Helen, sure, how about that sure. second hint? Okay, Amy. By Pure Prairie League is one of the songs on the album. Mm, okay. Well, then I'm going to guess The Ghost in You. Helen? That is correct. That hey! is correct. The wow. double hint. All I needed was, one, was you know, to, to get two of them taken away. 40% off, and I've got it. <laughs> yes, we got quite a bargain on that yeah, question. That one, that one was wow. on sale. Yeah. Uh, fun fact, bonus tracks for the album were available on iTunes, adding Girl from the North Country by Bob Dylan and Borderline by Madonna. Ah, that's fun. Counting Crows sings Madonna. All right, here's question number four. You have no hints available. Let's see how you do. Perhaps Counting Crows' most well-known song is Mr. Jones, which was the seventh most played song on U.S. radio in 1994. You might be shocked to hear then that the song never entered the Billboard Hot 100 chart. What is the explanation for this perplexing phenomenon? It was never released as a single. Helen? That is correct. He didn't need that hint. That's correct. (laughs) Uh, Fun fact, the song was not released as a single so that more people would buy the full album. By the way, the title Mr. Jones refers to bass player Marty Jones, but Adam Durrett said the song is really about himself, just that someone named Mr. Jones happened to be nearby when he wrote it. All right, Ron, here's question number five. The band's most recent full-length album is 2014's Somewhere Under Wonderland, produced by Brian Deck. But Deck didn't just produce, he also is credited with playing two percussion instruments on the tracks Palisades Park and God of Ocean Tides. One is a piano. What is the other instrument? Tambourine? Helen? That is not correct. Aww. No, I'm terribly sorry. Yeah. Kathleen with a chance to steal. Accordion. Helen, Helen, is it the, <laughs> throw that Helen, is it the percussion <laughs> instrument of the accordion? <laughs> it is not. No, but I'm sure if he did, he would have been having his foot on a monitor. No, uh, let's see if the hint might have helped. Helen, what would that hint have been? It translates from German as bells play. That's right, Glockenspiel. Glockenspiel. He played the Glockenspiel on two of those Counting Crows tracks. Fun fact, Adam Duritz has called Palisades Park, quote, about the best thing I've written in my life. Brian Deck also worked on the band's album Saturday Nights and Sunday Mornings that was not credited on a Glockenspiel. All right, Ron, you did pretty well in that round, but now here is your expert-level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. We'll be bringing on an expert to discuss your response. 
1994, Counting Crows appeared for their first and only time on the cover of a particular national magazine with the caption, The Biggest New Band in America. For up to three points, what magazine is it? What Counting Crows album did the magazine call in that issue an exquisitely bleak, intimate song cycle? And what founding member of Counting Crows played drums on that album and appeared on that magazine cover? Rolling Stone. Okay. August and Everything After. Okay. And... So, in the beginning, the band Mm -hmm. is... Let me do it. Let me see if I can do it. (laughs) So, Adam is singing... Charlie is playing keyboards. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Emmy's in the band yet. He's one of the guitar players. There's Dave Bryson who plays rhythm guitar. There is um, their other David who plays guitar. There's okay. Matt who's the bass player. Okay, I've got everybody except for the drummer. And he left the band and he lives in Nashville now and he plays on sessions. I can see it in my mind. I can see his, I can see his haircut. Oh man. Oh. <laughs> Take me back to the '90s. Uh, you know what? I can't think of his name. I cannot. Yeah. I cannot think of his name. Yes, you obviously know who it is. You just can't quite pull the name. I no can, worries. I could draw him. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, if you want to do that while we're talking, we'll uh, we'll present that we'll present that drawing. Uh, all right. Helen is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Joining us tonight from Tennessee is a musician and songwriter whose many accomplishments include being a founding member and drummer for Counting Crows. Oh, my God. It's Steve Bowman. Steve Bowman. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck. That is the response we're always hoping for. Hello, Steve. Hey, how are you? Hey, Ron. Hi, Steve. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, sure. There was, there was so much that uh, Ron was correct about that. You, you are in the Nashville area, yes? Yeah. Yeah, I live in Murfreesboro now, uh, just uh, about about 45 minutes uh, south of town. Yeah. Wow. And uh, <laughs> Ron, uh, tell us about the, the, the haircut that uh, – Yeah, I that love Steve that he was going to draw my haircut. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no I, I can see you in my mind. Uh, it's like – it's crazy. It's – it's um, here we are in the future, huh? Um, well, and yeah, so when I – I don't know. I think it's – when I was coming here, Matt Chamberlain told me that you lived here now. And I was like, oh, oh. interesting. Yeah. Uh, and wow. so that's – yeah, I'm, when, I'm thrilled to know Matt Chamberlain knows who I am. <laughs> so yes. wonderful. And uh, for those who don't know, who is who is Matt Chamberlain? Matt Chamberlain is one of the most recorded drummers of of that you know that's kind of walking right now. He's like our lifetime's Bernard Purdy, perhaps yeah. like the you did it, you hired the hitmaker. When yeah. Chamberlain's played on records for everyone, he's currently in Brandy Carlisle's band. He was just in Bob oh. Dylan's band before that. He played with. Wallflowers wow. bringing down the horse. It's nice to know there's such a nice camaraderie among uh, Nashville area musicians. Mm-hmm. Well, Steve, we're going to talk with you about your work with Counting Crows in a moment. But uh, first, tell us about what you're doing in Murfreesboro, because it's very interesting. You've got a company there called the Murfreesboro Music Lab that you've said is exactly what I want to do and right where I want to do it. So tell us what you're doing and why it's there. Well, it is. I uh, moved uh, from Nashville to Murfreesboro in 2020. I wanted uh, to slow down a little and just have a more quaint, small-town life, and that's exactly what this is. And Murfreesboro Music Lab is a teaching studio I do right here in my house, uh, two blocks from MTSU. 
And uh, it's wonderful. I, I uh, am uh, working from home and playing a lot of disc golf and riding my bike. And, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm 56 now. My interests have have changed a little and uh, I don't like moving drums. I don't like hustling. <laughs> so I'm really grateful to have a situation like this. And, and music education is fun for me right now. What ages do you teach and what kind of things do you teach? Well, I'm glad you asked because I really am uh, trying to work with aspiring professionals. What I really love doing is is uh, working with folks that are, are, are wanting to do this seriously and professionally maybe and mm-hmm. are good and passionate. And uh, do you teach glockenspiel? I uh, know. No, I don't. <laughs> but I have, I have referrals. <laughs> okay, that's good. And uh, what about the whole accordion with the uh, foot on the monitor thing? Was that something you were aware was happening? Well, the, the, that was a Counting Crows trademark? You know, Charlie Gillingham is what we call a badass. And uh, Charlie would come out, play accordion with a motorcycle jacket on, uh, big old boots, throw his foot up on a monitor. Uh, Charlie's a great looking guy. And uh, so uh, I remember in the band, we would always try to push him up first in front and stuff. Uh, he was a rock star. I was so glad to be able to play with him. Obviously made an impression. Well, let's talk about Counting Crows. Where were you in your life when you joined the band and how did that uh, start? I was doing sessions and trying to make a living as a as a musician. And I was doing work out of a little studio in Berkeley called Dancing Dog Studios that Dave Bryson owned and ran. Dave Bryson is the uh, uh, guitarist with Counting Crows. So mm-hmm. Dave and I were really good friends. And when uh, he and Adam decided to, to uh, fill out the band... Uh, I was lucky enough to get the call. Wow. And uh, as you were making some of these songs that would be on this uh, first album that went huge, did you have a sense that, oh, we we got something here? Well, you know, it's really uh, interesting. If you look at the timing, um, when we were making that record, the two biggest things going were Pearl Jam and Nirvana. And and what I think happened was that it was kind of at uh, at a change when people were ready for something a little more intimate, maybe a little more um, melodic. And mm-hmm. uh, and so we just unbelievable timing. I mean, that record could have been released at other times and not done as much, you know, but uh, just who knows? It's a crazy business. <laughs> People don't generally compare Counting Crows to Motley Crue. But if you will, <laughs> I have a notion here. I have always thought this my whole life. So when Motley Crue came out. L.A. punk was happening. There was nothing that sounded like them on the radio. And then they became the biggest band in the world. And after that, if you walk down the Sunset Strip with the right haircut, you got a record deal. And Counting Crows were at the forefront of this this movement where these more intimate and thoughtful story songs came to be, you know, like central to popular culture. And then there was a period of time afterwards where there were so many bands that got deals and got to have big records that were very much akin to Counting Crows. But before Counting Crows, there was nothing happening on the radio that was like it. And that, to me, was incredibly striking about those first handful of years, the storytellery aspect of, of Springsteen's music and Neil Young and all of that stuff. It was integrated into this music, but it was happening in real time around me so as i was coming up it's like i loved all this old music and now all of a sudden there's these young cool guys making this amazing music in real time and that changed my life so uh, Mm -hmm. that's how counting crows were like motley crew 
Uh-huh. <laughs> Steve, you got a big smile on your face as Ron was uh, talking about what that music meant to him. I imagine that feels really good to, to hear those kinds of things from, from fans. It does. I mean, I'm so lucky. I played on the Yellow album. You can tell Kathleen that. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> <laughs> One of the other things you're doing nowadays is a podcast that people can find on Spotify. It's called Letters to an Aspiring Musician. Uh, you've described it as what I saw, what I did, and what I could have done better. Uh, tell us what you mean more about what you could have done better. Well, certainly uh, I didn't last in Counting Crows as long as uh, as I could have. <laughs> I was very passionate and immature and young and fiery, and mm. I think I was a better drummer than a hang at that point. So I had a lot to learn in, in those areas. The podcast was really in my mid-50s trying to go back and say, what have I learned in 30 years that might help a 20-year-old that's just starting out? And mm. so it's a who, what, where, why, when of everything I felt should, could be important to a person to save time, money, or pain off their journey. So, uh, can you give us a sample tip that uh, you wish you had known back then? Um, I often tell people who come to Nashville, get a six one five area code because people don't need that anymore. But if you're going down a list of players to text and you see six one five, you're more <laughs> likely to do it. So, little things, Ron. I'm sure you have a six one five by now, don't you? You know. I have not changed my phone number in probably 25 years or something like that. Uh, I shouldn't tell that because I used to get a lot of uh, crazy people calling me. Uh, so <laughs> I guess now I never I never answer it, so it doesn't matter. Wait, but is is six one five the, the Nashville. Nashville area? Six one five Nashville, and, yeah. and so it's got a cachet yeah. to it. Yeah, I should have clarified. Yes. Yeah, and Kathleen, are you a six one five er? I'm super super. Drug hood two one three LA. So am I two one three two one three baby <laughs> representing. Yeah, that's OG. That's OG. Yeah. All right, Steve. Let's get to the reason we brought you here. As far as our game is concerned, you heard the question that we asked of Ron. First, we want to know what was the magazine that Counting Crows appeared on the cover of in nineteen ninety four. Helen, what did Ron say? Ron said Rolling Stone. And Steve? Ding ding ding! It is correct. That is correct. Very very nice, uh, Steve. What did it mean to you to be on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine? Well, it was amazing, and. Uh, uh, we were actually in Europe when it came out and we flew in. And so the first place I saw it was at an airport bookstore. And, uh, of course I grabbed 10 copies and went and bought them and sent them to my family back home. <laughs> that kind of stuff kept happening actually. Just like, Oh, did you hear we're doing this? We're touring with the stones. You're like, really? <laughs> I can't believe it. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Terrific. And a point for Ron. All right. Next, we wanted to know what Counting Crows album did that magazine call in that issue an exquisitely bleak, intimate song cycle? Helen, what did Ron say? Ron said August and everything after. And Steve? That is correct. That is correct. Also known as the Yellow Album. Mm -hmm. uh, a point for Ron. And finally, we wanted to know what founding member of Counting Crows played drums on that album and appeared on that magazine cover. <laughs> I'm sorry, Steve. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Ron, that we do have to find out. What was your answer from Helen? Ron said something about, I can see his hair. Yeah, yeah, he could. He said that. Can you still, Ron? Can you still see my hair? <laughs> Not quite as much. Uh, who, was, who was that, Steve Bowman? 
<laughs> well, that was me, Steve Bowman. That was uh, you, Steve Bowman. <laughs> oh, man. Well, Ron, Steve has a great sense of humor about that, so please don't feel bad about it. Ron, while we have Steve here, anything else you'd like to say or ask to him as your expert? Well, I was going to say, Steve, your, your, uh, your podcast sounds very interesting to me. And one thing that I have found, so my friend Jerry Pentecost, who was the drummer in my band for many years, oh, Jerry yeah. is now the drummer in Bob Dylan's band. Oh, and wow. And one thing, one thing that we have always talked about, part of the job is being a good hang and it's like, I wish that when I was young, I had examples like that in my life or that people told me that are like, it's important to show up and be easy to work with because that's how you keep getting invited back. Steve, you've talked about in some of your lectures and uh, and essays and stuff that I've read that uh, about the importance of being a good hang. So w- w- what is the key to being a good hang? There's so many factors, but one of the things, try to make eye contact if you're saying please, thank you, I'm sorry, and goodbye. You know, if you handle those Mm. four, just the basics of what I didn't observe as well as I could have, and maybe people can. Steve, it's been so wonderful that you joined us. If people want to find out more about you and what you're up to, where can they do that? Well, I have uh, two things. One is my website. It is Murfreesboro Music Lab at mumulab.org, M-U-M-U-L-A-B.org. And I also have the podcast Letters to an Aspiring Musician available on Spotify. And I'm going to be having an instructional video. Uh, it's, it's all done and finished, and I just have to figure out how to market it. That's going to be coming out next year. So. Steve, Excellent. next time that we talk, I want to tell you the story of when Bernard Purdy told me to buy his instructional video. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it looks like you got one you can add to your collection. Thank you so much for joining us. It's the good hang himself, Steve Bowman. Hey! hey. <laughs> All right, Helen, what is our score at the end of that round? At the end of that round, Kathleen Madigan has five and a half points and Ron Pope has seven points. All right. Now it comes down to our final round called Fast Facts. I'll read 10 statements and each contestant will answer with true or false. I'll start with Kathleen and alternate between each guest. Each correct answer is worth one point. Again, please answer each statement with true or false. Here we begin. Kathleen, Jamie Lee Curtis is an award-winning actor. True. Correct. Ron, Jamie Lee Curtis has been awarded an Oscar. False. Incorrect. No, she just won last year for Everything Everywhere All at Once. Kathleen, Jamie Lee Curtis has been awarded a BAFTA. True. Correct. Yes, for Trading Places. Ron, Jamie Lee Curtis has been awarded a patent. False. Incorrect. No, Who she knows really anything has. about Jamie Lee Curtis? What are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> Kathleen, the patent is for a product used for filmmaking. False. Correct. Ron, the patent is for a product used for babies. False. Incorrect. I don't know Kathleen. anything about Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> I don't know how Kathleen does know so much about Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> I random. Kathleen, it's a type of pacifier. True. Incorrect. Ron, it's a type of diaper. True. Correct. Oh, there thank you go. God. Kathleen, it's a diaper with a zipper. False. Correct. Ron, it's a diaper with a pocket. True. Correct. Yes, to hold baby wipes. Kathleen, the title of the patent is Diaper Improvement Module. False. Correct. Ron, it's diaper storage accessory. False. Correct. Kathleen, it's diaper with a pocket. True. (laughs) Incorrect. And finally, Ron, it's diaper, but you get to put something in the back of it, and it was invented by Jamie Lee Curtis. False, but that would have been a better title. (laughs) Helen? Correct. Correct. All right. We're not going to count those last few. I want to thank Ron Pope and Kathleen Madigan as Helen tabulates the final score. By the way, the title of the patent is Infant Garment. 
infant garment. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, by the way, refused to license the patent to manufacturers because disposable diapers are not environmentally friendly. The patent has since expired, so have at it. All right. Helen, are you ready to announce the winner of today's episode? Oh, my gosh, J. Keith. It is unbelievably close. At the end of the game, Kathleen Madigan has nine and a half points, and Ron Pope has nine points. Congratulations, Kathleen. You are the facting champion. Ron, applauding being such a good sport. Kathleen, what will you do with your championship? Um, I'm going to go learn some more about Jamie Lee Curtis. (laughs) (laughs) He's going to play again. (laughs) All right. I'm sure sure we all will enjoy that. Um, All right. I want to wrap up by giving everyone here a chance to mention or promote anything. Kathleen Madigan, where can people find what you're up to kathleenmedigan.com you can find everything you ever wanted to know on there and all social media so it's all in one place there you go off to the races you can see a video of my cat every monday i will watch that and by the way i saw your kitten uh come up behind you and i can't believe i was able to continue with the show after seeing that that's all i wanted to see very cute kitty (laughs) she's right there hi kitty well well, thank you so much for joining us kathleen quite a treat ron pope where can people find you and what you're up to ronpopemusic.com ronpopemusic.com is all things Ron Pope and of course I am on all of the social media sites you know we're all doing them all I'm in there we're all doing them as all, my grandmother used to say he's in the internet <laughs> well, we, we thank you for stopping here while you're in the internet uh, Ron Pope everyone ladies and gentlemen my hosting partner is Helen Hong Helen where can people find you I'm actually going to be in a really cool documentary about uh, reproductive rights it is called No One Asked You <laughs> and it is premiering at Doc New York City upcoming and you can find more information at docnewyorkcity.net slash film slash no one asked you. Helen, if I'm not mistaken, you mentioned that on the very first episode of Go Fact Yourself. <laughs> I, yeah, it's, I guess it takes that long to, to make a documentary these days. Yes, yes, good to know. All right, Helen Hong, everybody. Uh, and me, you can find me on whatever they're going to call Twitter at J underscore Keith and on all the other socials at jkeith.net, all spelled out. That just leaves me to thank Helen Hong, Kathleen Madigan, Ron Pope, Adrian Shine, and Steve Bowman. And thank you for listening and supporting our show at MaximumFun.org. I'm J. Keith Van Stratton. Good night. Like what you hear? Come see us live. Go to GoFactorPod.com for our schedule and tickets. Meanwhile, please like us on Facebook, follow us on all the socials, all at GoFactorPod, update our wiki at GoFactorWiki.Fandom.com, and buy our T-shaped shirt and mug-shaped mug at MaxFunStore.com. And give us a great review on your favorite podcast platform, like Rooster6987 did on Apple Podcasts. He, she, or they said, I am so happy. Thanks, Rooster6987. I am so happy to hear that. Ellen? Go Fact Yourself is a panel quiz program devised and produced by Jim Newman and J. Keith Van Stratton and comes to you via transcription from various homes across the world. Questions were compiled by the Trivia Industrial Complex, including Clint Tauscher. We are produced in collaboration with Maximum Fun. Maximum Fun senior producer is Laura Swisher. Associate producer and editor is Julian Burrell. Our show engineer is Dave McKeever. Our theme song and incidental music were written and performed by Jonathan Green. Research assistance provided by Adam Needif. Quiz assistance provided by McAllen Howe and Brian Phillips. Promotional graphics by Erich Tran. Added support from Dave Bianchi and Christine Bellata. Special thanks to Susan Hamilton of Brooklyn Basement, the publicity team at RNC PMK, and Marilyn Shine. I've been Helen Hong! Let's go look for the Loch Ness Monster! Maybe we can lure it out with Counting Crows! Ooh! 
maximum fun. A worker-owned network of artist-owned shows supported directly by you.